Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. In to the Word of God this morning here. So, last week we are we we are still in the book of First Thessalonians, and last week we were looking at First. Thessalonians 6 through 13, and we were looking at a prayer last week that Paul prays in the middle of this book. And it's, it's a little bit interesting that Paul is writing this letter to this church. Now, to give you a brief history and a brief, like, just kind of catch you up to, to speed on what is happening, this church, Paul was uh, on his missionary journey. He came to these people. He was there three weeks. Paul visited them for three weeks, shared the gospel with them, And many people came to know Christ. And then at the same time, persecution hit. And I mean harsh persecution. Paul and Silas, his partner, they were chased out of town. They left at around midnight. And Paul is writing this letter to them because he had sent Timothy, his kind of apprentice, to check in on them. And Paul wanted to know, how are these people doing? He was only there three weeks. He shared the gospel with them for three weeks, and Paul is wondering. He's like, how, how are you guys doing? Because I know persecution happened. I know what, what has been taking place there. So this is like the, the kind of overall theme of this letter. Well, in the middle of this letter, Paul has a prayer for the people. And we looked at it last week, and, and his, his prayer was very interesting because um, it does a couple of things. He kind of sets up this prayer for the rest of the book, but he also wanted to remind them and encourage them to continue onward. That, listen, you guys have been doing well, but he says, I want you to abound even more in this one area of loving one another. So we, we talked about that last week. Well, this week we are moving on to chapter 4, and the title of this week's message is called God's Plan. Now, I find this also interesting that many people kind of ask, what is God's plan? Have you ever asked that question for your own life? God, like, what's your plan for me? What would you have me to do? And we are going to kind of see how Paul is going to talk about God's plan and God's will. And uh, we're going to be looking at that this morning. So if you can, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to look at verse 8. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's word this morning here. So this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8 this morning. It says this, Finally, Then, brothers, we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you, that, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgressions, that no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Verse 7. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. 
Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Let us pray. Father, this morning, Lord, as we look to your word, Father, we come, we come to, to seek you, we, we desire to know more of who you are, and Lord, what you desire from your people. Father, come now through your Holy Spirit, come minister to us, speak to us, and challenge us now. We pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. You guys may be seated. So I want to break down these verses for us today, and I want us, and I want us to be reminded once more, as Paul is writing to this church here. He's writing to a church that's doing very well. This is not a letter to a church that has a lot of problems. Paul wrote many letters, and sometimes Paul is writing to a church that is completely dysfunctional. And Paul has to like correct them, and the letter has to be even longer, like Corinthians, where he just has to constantly rebuke and kind of say, listen, you guys are thinking about this all wrong here. Here, he's writing a letter of encouragement. And he even, even says here as a reminder in verses 1 and 2, he says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. <clears throat> Verse 2, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Paul is basically, in this section of Scripture, reminding them of what he has already taught them. Paul was with them for three weeks, and we don't have all of the exact details on just every lesson Paul went through, but he is saying, listen, I'm urging you, you guys are already doing a really good job, but I'm going to continue to urge you more and more in some areas here. You guys are doing well, but God wants you to be continuing on in this area, and I want you to know how to walk in a manner to please God. Because this is the calling, church, of our lives. How do we live a life that pleases God? How do we live out God's will in our life? And Paul brings this up to them once again. Like I said, he already knows that they're doing a pretty good job. But in verse 1, he says this, Just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. And I mentioned this one last week. And I kind of said this last week. Do you guys realize that as believers, we never arrive as a Christian. It's never over. It's not like you become a Christian and you accept Christ and life is now like, well, I've, I've, I've like done that. And I've, you know, I, I said a prayer once when I was seven and, uh, you know, I'm, I don't really need anything else here. Paul is encouraging them and reminding them, Listen, I want you to continue on more and more here. I want you to continue to abound and continue to be growing and pleasing God. Because that's, that's, the, uh, that's the ultimate calling. Well, today, I want us to remind you that when a person comes to Christ, everything changes. And I want you to just, just to kind of think about that. When a person comes to Christ everything changes. And we see that within, within God's word, that becoming a Christian, becoming a Christ follower, you yourself, to the core of who you are, begins to change. 
And I think this is really important for us to grasp here because we need to kind of understand that before we can look at the rest of these verses here. Because, because if, we don't, if we don't understand that God has this process for us, that God has this plan for his people, for mankind, that when you come to him, things begin to change. If you don't understand that, and if we don't get that, and if we don't see that that is throughout Scripture here, when we start to read certain, certain, certain verses, you can start to view them differently. But I, I believe that as we look at God's Word, we will see it's not just a list of rules. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts. But you have to understand who you are before you come to Christ and what God does in you after Because if you don't comprehend this, if we don't understand that there is this process and God takes you from one spot and puts you into another spot, the rest of Scripture just seems like rules. And it's just like, well, God just said do's and don'ts, and I probably shouldn't do this, and I probably... It's not about that. So turn with me real quick to Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Ephesians. We're going to kind of camp out here because we are going to see who mankind used to be, and when I say mankind, who you and I used to be, before we came to faith in Christ. And then we see God's plan in the midst of all that. So this is Ephesians chapter 2. And I want you to just kind of hang with me here as we kind of jump to this section, because I think this is vital. If we don't understand who we are outside of Christ and who we are in Christ, none of it makes sense. You can't live a life to please God. So here, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. He says this, Remember that you were at that time, and I would say what time, this is Paul saying before you came to Christ, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. Look at these words. Having no hope and without God in the world. Paul gives a quick reminder of who you are, of who mankind is, before they come to Christ. He uses strong words here. You were alienated. You were strangers. Meaning, you didn't know God. Meaning, like, you weren't connected with him. You were separated from him. And he goes on in verse 13. But now, in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken in his flesh the, the dividing wall of hostility. I want you to kind of get this picture here. Before somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ, Scripture makes it clear. They were far off. They weren't close. They weren't like, you know, them and the Lord. They weren't like cool together. He says that there was hostility. There was, mankind was over here. They were distant from him. But he says, but the blood that was shed on the cross. See, no, Jesus' blood and what Jesus did, and this is why Christians all the time talk about the cross. It used to be over there. It's over here now, sorry. When we talk about the cross, there's a reason why that is our symbol. That is why we always point 
to the cross because of what Jesus did on the cross. That when Jesus died on that cross and his body was sacrificed for all of mankind, it reconciled you to God. Before, you were alienated. Before, you were separated. Before, you had no hope. There was no relationship between you and God. But Paul breaks it down here that this is what Christ has done. That through his blood, through his shedding, he has now brought his people close. See, a lot of people think, and I see this often within our culture and within sometimes churchgoers, but not as often. Many people think that um, if God is real, God is love, which is true. He is love. And they think that if God is love, then he must just accept all people. And they, and they kind of make this, make this correlation that God loves everyone. Everyone will be fine in the end. There was a book out there called Love Wins, and I don't want to be going down this road too deep here because it's not even in my notes, so I will try. But I have a microphone right now, so I feel like I'm free to talk. So um, there was this book that came out several years ago called Love Wins. And this author wanted to make this argument that God is so loving and he's so graceful that everybody in the end will be with him in heaven. That, 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 that basically love is going to win all things. And it's, it's an interesting concept. Um, I understand some verses that they take from there. It's just not a biblical concept. And what I mean by that is that biblically we learn and we see that mankind, apart from Jesus Christ, is hopeless. They're separated. There's no hope for them. And Paul here is, is reminding us, and we need to understand this church deep in our hearts and in our minds, of who we were before Christ. Because it's so easy to just think, oh, it's totally fine. How I live, what I do, it doesn't really matter. God's all love. God is all love. But it's also just. And he also sent his son to this world to die for the world's sins, to pay a price that, that you and I can never pay. And Paul here is showing us what happens when people come to Christ. Verse, fifth, verse 15, he says this, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, a place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and, and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God the Spirit. What Jesus did is not just died on the cross for our sins, which is true. 
and his blood covers them. But he reunited mankind to the Father. And I've, I've actually shared this quite a bit, but as you look at the Old Testament, have you guys ever read Genesis? Genesis, the entire gospel picture is right there in the first three chapters of Genesis. That God created man, and they walked together, and there was fellowship, and there was, there was this like relationship going back and forth, and then sin entered the world, and it broke it. And that's what Jesus does. He said he comes and he reunites mankind to the Father. He comes to bring us back because we were separated from God because of sin within our lives. And that's what is honestly makes the gospel message so amazing that anyone from any background, any nationality, it doesn't matter what your background is, how much you think you have sinned, haven't sinned, is that Jesus Christ has brought you near to God by what he has done. Not by what you have done. Not that you have like somehow earned it or, you know, you put on your proper church clothes or anything like that. Jesus did the work for mankind. And I laid this, I laid this foundation for us, and I laid this foundation quite a bit because we have to understand who we were, what Christ did, and how God puts us onto a new path is that it doesn't just come to faith, but God sets mankind onto a new path. Turn with me back to 1 Thessalonians here. And we're going to get at what God is, is getting at here. So this is, uh, I, think I, I think I missed it here. There we go. No. Guys, now, now I'm lost. Oh, boy. All right, 1 Thessalonians. Verse 3, for this is the will of God, he says. What is God's will? What is God's plan for your life, for my life? Your sanctification. Now, that word is not used often in the New Testament, and that word, you can basically look at that word as the process God is using to refine us. That when we come to faith in Christ, we are set onto a new path, a new way, and God is now working a process within us. Those of you who, who, who have been following Christ or, or, or maybe just came to Christ, you, you see this play out, that when you put your faith in Christ, you become different. You're like, things start to change. Well, Paul says this, that you, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, verse 5, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress the wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all things. As we have told you beforehand and solemnly warn you, verse 7, for God has not called us for impurity, but holiness. Paul brings up the biggest issue that mankind has, sexual immorality. And before you start thinking, oh boy, pastor's giving us a sex talk today, this is going to be super awkward, the word is used, and we're going to have to be talking about it. Because Paul is addressing the church here. And he's saying, listen, you guys have been doing really, really well, but I want to remind you in this one area, this is the will of God for you. 
to abstain from sexual immorality. Now, many people then kind of wonder, well, what is sexual immorality? God's Word defines it very, very clearly. Any sexual relations outside of a man and woman in marriage. Might, might be saying, well, well, that sounds kind of exclusive. Any sexual relations outside of a man and woman in marriage. Now, in 2021, in the world we live in, they don't agree with that statement. They don't agree biblically with that parameters is what God sets. Our world says what you desire, what you see fit, it doesn't matter what God says. As long as it feels good, feels right, do it. If anyone, and I mean if anyone, says anything that goes against how you feel, silence that voice. Get companies, get organizations, get governments to silence that voice. Don't let the voice of God's word exist in this time. And here in 2021, where sexual immorality is everywhere, it's within all things, America itself. Now, a lot of times, a lot of times Christians like to kind of say, America is the worst country for sexual immorality. And I would say, you haven't studied history or biblical history, because as Paul's writing this letter, he's writing it from Corinth. And if you know anything about Corinth, I can't even mention to you the depravity of sexual immorality that was taking place there. The level of their sin, I kid you not, is almost, it's unspeakable. It's like the dark web of sin. And that was within their culture. So the American culture has a very sexualized culture. We have a major, major issue here. We are the number one producer in pornography, which is interesting that sexual immorality, uh, the word porneia, which is also used today for pornography, is the, it comes from the, the Greek word there. But we live in a time where it's a serious struggle within our world. But I would also argue this has always been mankind's struggle. This isn't new. It's not like people doing things outside of marriage is all of a sudden new. It's not like men being attracted to men and women being attracted to women is somehow new. We tend to like think, oh, this is all, all new. It's been going on for human history here. They, what's that old saying? The, the oldest profession is prostitution. I mean, like, sexual immorality has been plaguing mankind forever. And it's interesting that Paul warns them of this one thing. In the book of Acts, as they write to another church, they bring up this one thing too. It's like God knows this is going to be a serious struggle. God knows that inside of mankind, there will be these desires, these sinful desires that have to be addressed. And that's why Paul warns them here. He says, listen, you guys have been doing really, really well. You guys have made it through persecution. You have been loving one another. But I want to warn you one last time that God takes this, this sin seriously. He's not messing around. He doesn't say, oh, just live how the culture lives. Sleep with whoever you want to be sleeping with. Have desires however desires you see fit. Paul warns them and says, listen, God takes this seriously. 
But as a follower of Christ, church, this is very easy to understand. The world around us does not get this. They look at us like, like we're crazy. What do you mean? One man, one woman, marriage. That's the parameters. They look at us like we're nuts, and they want to argue against God's word. Well, you know, God kind of does say this sometimes, and it's clear from beginning to end. These are the parameters. Anything outside of that is sexual immorality. And God says, listen, I'm going to warn you here. Avoid it. Abstain from it. But as a Christian, as somebody that has come to faith in Christ, we look at these words, and I would say you can easily swallow them in the sense of like, yep, that's what, what God's word, word says. I accept it. The world rejects it. But the reason why they reject it is because they don't know Christ. And I got to just make that clear. That's why there's this whole process of when you come to faith in Christ, you become somebody different. You're no longer living for oneself. You desire to honor and follow Christ and honor God within all things. And that's why there, 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 there truly has been hostility to the church in this area. That our culture is like, well, how can you possibly believe that? How can you possibly live that way? Why would you even want to be living that way? That just seems crazy. Don't you want to be having fun? Don't you want to just be, you know, enjoying life? Whatever they say. But the reality is, is the world doesn't, they don't know Christ. So when they come up against scripture like this, they just reject it. They don't know what to do with it. But as a believer, because of what God has done in you and for you, it's easy to walk in this manner, in the sense of saying, God, this is how you have called me to live. I want to honor you. I want to follow you. God, I want to put your desire and your word above mine. And I know that this is still a serious struggle. But in the midst of this struggle, I think we see the solution in verse 5 here. So uh, turn with me real quick back to verses 4 through 6. And I may, I may not have, have 6 up there, but, but look at verses 4, 5, and 6. He says this, that each of you, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. I would say, if Paul says that you should know how to control one's body, guess what? As a, as a believer, I believe that God will equip you to do that. He, he's not going to ask you to do something that you can't do. You might have struggles in this area. I guarantee you, God can equip you. His Holy Spirit has the power to transform your life and give you strength and power in this area. But look at verse 5. Not in the passions of lust, like the Gentiles, who do not know God. Verse 6, that no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warn you. It's a strong warning there. I don't think that we should take any warning within Scripture lightly. But in verse 4 and 5, he says, Know how to control one body in holiness and in honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles 
who do not know God. And I mentioned that. The reason why this world has such a struggle is because they simply do not know God. And I would even argue in your, in your very own life, if you struggle with the idea of God's parameters for sexual immorality, I would argue you may not know God. Because people who do not know God really, really struggle with this. They want to fight it. They want to argue against it here. But God's word is, is so crystal clear. And Paul gives us this, just this warning here. Look at the Gentiles, which that word just, it just basically means a non-Jewish person. But it's interesting because Paul's writing to a bunch of, 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 of non-Jewish people. But he says, look at the people around you. They live in their passions. They're going to live however they see fit. The reason why? They don't know him. But you know him. And I believe God has that solution for us, that to know God. Church, if you struggle in this area, I would encourage you and implore you to know God. Not to know facts about God. Not to know this idea, like, oh yeah, God's out there. And... But Scripture says to know him. I believe... The scripture is very clear that every human being can come to know God. And I think that's, that's the like, key to it all. What is God's plan? What is God's will? When you get to know him as a person, he's not, he's not this like God in the clouds that's just un, unattainable and doesn't really want anything to do with like mankind, what like many ph- philosophers just kind of argue there. He's a God that wants to be known. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to know him, to have fellowship with him. That's why what Jesus did, he broke down every single barrier so that mankind can come to know God as a person, as a friend, as a savior, as Lord. He did that by what he did on the cross. But I think that's that's the key to this entire sexual immorality sin. Is that people are just going to live how they see fit until they come to know their creator. Until they come to know him. And I would also say, if you are struggling in this area, and you're like, man, pastor, I've kind of always struggled in this area, and it, it's just a real issue, I would say get to know God. Like, pursue him. Like, spend time with him. Sit in prayer. Spend time in worship. Spend time in his word. I remember in college talking to my, my, my pastor here and just saying, Pastor, man, this, is, this whole sexual immorality thing, why does it always seem to be a, a struggle? And he said, Jeff, spend time with him. Be with him. Watch him transform you. Watch him change your very desires. And it's so true. It's so true, church family. As you spend time with him, as you get to know him, spend time in his word, as you spend time worshiping, all of those things is you are saying, God, I want to pursue you. I want to know you. And what happens is that God transforms you. He changes your very desires. And you, instead of living a life to please oneself, is what Paul says here, live a life to please God. 
your very nature changes to where instead of saying, well, what do I want? It says, God, what do you want? God, I want to honor you. I want to follow you in all circumstances for all things. And I would just, just challenge you, church, to truly know him, to, to truly spend time in him and with him. Spend time daily in his word. Spend time worshiping. Spend time meeting with other believers. Spend time talking with other believers about Christ and who Christ is and get people in your life to challenge you, encourage you, and push you to follow Christ even more every single day. I'm going to stand and I want to pray for you guys this morning in our church and for us. I'm going to invite the worship team up. And uh, Garrett, the song is, I don't know the name, but one of the choruses is, Who is like? Who is like our Lord, our God? Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord. I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. Father, I know that this area is such a struggle within mankind. Father, I pray, I pray, Lord, that we would first turn from our sins and cling to you. Lord, that we would come to know you deeper and deeper every single day. Father, I praise you for the grace that you have shown us through your son, Jesus. God, I thank you that there is forgiveness found in you and in you alone. God, help us. We pray this now in Jesus' name.